This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. Guten Erev Shabbos. Delighted to be with you on Chai FM. I'm Mashi Lipsker. And as always, there really is something special to talk about. The sixth parsha in the book of Bamidbar, the sixth portion, is one that is called Chukas. And we need to examine this name, and certainly in light of some of the other subjects that will be spoken about in the Parsha. Although the Parsha begins with a rule, a choik, a law, which governs the process of purification from a state of difficult to explain what is tuma, ritual defilement, not being at a level where one can participate fully in spiritual things? How does a person contract this type of ritual defilement? It's through contact with a human corpse. After that, the portion speaks about, well, initially it's about that rule, and then it goes on to speak about the final years of the Jewish people's wandering in the wilderness. Until at the end of the Parsha, they arrive at the threshold, at the entrance. They are about to enter the land of Israel. It's interesting for us to study about these things, but we always ask ourselves, how does that apply to me? We don't live in the time of the temple yet. We Do we understand what is this concept? But of course, remembering that everything in Torah does apply to us. It becomes important to examine what lesson does it have for me in my daily life? The Parsha, very interestingly, speaks about... It speaks about the death of Miriam. It speaks about the death of Aaron. Many things in the parsha. But what we want to speak about today, in essence, is its relevance to us. Here we are in Johannesburg. The days are getting a little longer. 5.07. We will be lighting our Shabbos candles. Shabbos will be out at 6.02 tomorrow. And we want to see, how does the Parsha talk to us? So Parsha's Chukas takes us back, actually, to the very beginning, to the beginning of the second year after the Jewish people left Egypt. It was Nisan. It was the first day of the month of Nisan, 2,449, the day that the Mishkan, the tabernacle was inaugurated. And Hashem instructs Moshe to purify the people from Tumah, from this ritual defilement, as mentioned, that a person contracts by coming in contact with a dead body, a human corpse. Part of the process is that the ash of a perfectly red cow, 
a red-haired cow is sprinkled on the person. The cow has to be slaughtered, burnt down to ashes. Then the ash mixed with spring water and then subsequently sprinkled on a person, the person requiring the purification. And that begins a seven-day count. Well, the person begins a seven-day count. And the ashes are sprinkled on the third day and the seventh day. They are sprinkled by a Kohen, a priest. And ultimately, after the sprinkling on the seventh day, the person must immerse himself in a mikveh, a ritual pool, and then wait until the nightfall of that seventh day, and then the process is complete. So, by Yom Hashlishi Uvayom Hashvi'i Yitar, on the third and the seventh day, the person must purify himself. So, how does this apply to us? Mm. Fascinating insight of Hasidic teaching. In order to purify ourselves from the defilement of death, what's that? In truth, Hasidus explains, it's the psychological term, death, or the how death can be understood in a psychological way. It's referring to a coldness, a paralysis, a deadness, a depression towards spirituality, toward the spiritual dimension of life. There is such a beautiful side of our existence. And so many of us go through days and weeks and months and years totally oblivious to that, totally cold to it, totally negative about it. In order to come out of that, we need the third and the seventh of the emotional aspects of the soul. You know that we have seven aspects of the soul that are emotional. Number three, Tiferis, corresponds to compassion or pity. And number seven, Malchus, corresponds to humility, a sense of lowliness. Where does the pity fit in? Where does the compassion fit in? When we feel the pain that the soul suffers when it's constricted in the physical material world, when the consciousness of the soul is not connected, is not aware of the powerful presence of God, how Hashem directs everything, how Hashem cares about us, how it's not just up to us, how He takes care of us. The soul feels pain. The soul is suffering. And when we feel that pity, we are inspired. We are aroused to rescue the soul. How? By studying Hashem's Torah, by doing His mitzvahs, His commandments. This for the soul is the Jew of revival. This for the soul is the most wonderful nurturance, the most wonderful feeding. 
And if we are humble, when we are humble, when we're not egotistical and full of ourselves, then the flow of divine life force, the highest, the energy, the vitality that should make us feel alive, important, vibrant, purposeful, hopeful, joyful, is no longer blocked from that pity that causes us then to devote ourselves to nurturing the neshama. No longer is this wonderful sense of being alive. It's no longer blocked. What blocks it when we're self-centered? When we think we know it all, our self-centered interests, which limit us so much, get in the way of all the blessings that Hashem wants to give us. And therefore, when we look at the parsha and we think, have I come in contact with something deadly, dead to me, something that dulls the senses? And we realize that the physical material world does that. We start to believe that what we see around us is it. And when we pity the soul which is trapped and suffering in such a situation, and we are inspired to do another mitzvah, to study some Torah, a mitzvah to reach out and help someone else, suddenly it's unblocked. Suddenly the happiness, the joy, feeling alive, begins to flow back into us. We'll be right back after this break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. I'm Mashi Lipsker. This is 101.9 High FM. And we are talking the Parsha. And we are talking about sensitizing ourselves. And we're talking about the idea of becoming defiled insensitive, not aware, not feeling alive spiritually, and how the study of Torah, the performance of even one mitzvah, can allow that to become unblocked, and the flow of divine energy, vitality, joy, life, real life, begins to be felt in an altogether different way. So the parsha begins, Zeus Chukas HaTayra. This is the rule of the Torah. This is the decree of the Torah. The divine decree about the red cow, the para aduma. The right of purification that involves the red cow. What is this idea of a choik, chuka, chukas, decree. Well, it's a legal decree. A decree meaning it's not logical. No reason is given. Yes, there are two other kinds of mitzvahs. We have mishpatim and edus. Mishpatim are the ordinances between man to man, civil courts, things that make sense. Do not kill, honor your parents. Edus, testimonies, keep the Shabbos. Remember, God created the world. Remember that you left Egypt. 
Pesach, Shavuot, remember Revelation at Sinai. Chukim, on the other hand, the third category, or for this parsha, the first category, whether or not they speak to our seichel, to our mortal sense of logic, we keep God's decree. We keep his rule. And we need to understand, how can we do this? We are logical people. Things that make sense to us, we accept, we integrate, we act upon. How can we keep the rule of the king, the decree of the king, the divine decree, and really keep it, and really go for it and make it our own? To do that, we need to reveal, invoke our super-rational connection to Hashem. We all have it. We all have a soul-essential connection to the Creator. It is our life. We are connected. If I'm alive, He's keeping me alive. And my soul is a part of Him. We've got to invoke this beyond reason connection to God. Not because I've seen you and not because you're giving me something today, but because essentially you are my life. And then we have to arouse our commitment to follow his instructions and follow them implicitly. It's about the connection and the commitment. And when we look at this mitzvah, a mitzvah that is a choik, what does the word choik mean? Choik is a decree, we said. But when we look at the fundamental meaning of the word, chuka, that speaks to us about chiseling, carving, engraving. Picture this. A letter that's chiseled into a block of stone, it becomes part of that stone. It's not like when you write on paper or parchment that a second entity is imposed upon, it's grafted onto another material. But when you engrave, you carve something into stone, it cannot be erased from the stone. Of course, you know, you could wear away the stone, but the connection between the letter and the stone is permanent. It's immutable. This actually is the perfect metaphor for the level of our relationship with Hashem that keeping these type of mitzvahs invokes. We have a level of connection with Hashem, permanent, irrevocable, unchanging, always there, connection to God. And it's beyond logic. It overrides considerations of sense, of reason. When we keep those mitzvahs, it actually brings that vibrant part of us to the fore. We connect just because... 
And because we connect not for any rational reason, we connect to his very essence. And that's when our essence shines forth. It's an incredible gift we can give ourselves. It's about dedication through thick and thin. It's about trusting, knowing that he is so much different to us, bigger than us, sees, knows, and loves. And with his love, he puts us into situations that very often are challenging. But our baseline commitment that no matter what, we are connected and we are committed, that carries a person through thick and thin. It's something you know just as you know that you're here, I'm here. You know that he's here. It's something you intrinsically react to and something we need to act upon. It compels us. If this is true, then I must be committed. In fact, we're dealing during this time with some very deep emotions Last Shabbos was the third of Tammuz, the Yorzeit of the Rebbe. And we have a teaching that from Shabbos, all the days of the week are blessed. They are empowered. It's true that the Shabbos before and the Shabbos after incorporate the days of the week. Nevertheless, Mi Shabbos misbarachim kulhu yoimin, all the days of the week are blessed from Shabbos. And during this time, after the Yorzeit of the Rebbe, there is such power that exists to elevate ourselves more and more, to inspire ourselves, to dedicate ourselves to others beyond rationale, to give, to make a difference in God's world. I want to share a story with you. And the story was told to me as follows. It says maybe 10 or 15 years ago, there was a woman, let's call her Susan. And the man telling the story said, she came to work in my office. He said, at first, I didn't know if she was Jewish because her surname didn't sound Jewish. And then one day I found out that she was Jewish. How did I find out? Because we had a gathering in our office, and she put down some food on the kosher table. Sometimes after that, when talking to her, she told me that she has two young sons and she sends them to a Chabad preschool in downtown Brooklyn. And then the fellow telling the story said, she asked me if I was Chabad, if I was a Lubavitcher. And when I said that I was, she said, she wants to tell me a story. And this is a story I'm privileged today to share with the listeners. And she said, not so long ago, I went through a very bitter divorce. And from all the stress, 
I became depressed. And then I moved in with my mother, but the depression deepened and deepened. I could barely function, she said. I could barely take care of myself or my children. Her mother, understandably, was beside herself with worry, but didn't know how to help her daughter. And then the story. One night, Susan had a dream. In the dream, she said, I saw the Rebbe smiling at me with a warm, warm smile. And he kept on smiling. And he kept on smiling. And he kept on smiling. And as he continued to do so, in her dream, she could feel her depression lifting to the point where she too began smiling. And then she woke up. That morning, at breakfast, her mother said, You look different. You look cheerful. And so she told her mother the story about the dream. And at that point, her mother turned white. She said, let me tell you the other part of the story. And her mother said, I was frantic with worry. I was at my wit's end. I didn't know how to help you. I could see you were sinking. And yesterday I suddenly remembered that once you and I had gone on the dollar's line to the Rebbe. You and I had specifically gone to Brooklyn to 770 Eastern Parkway and each received a dollar from the Rebbe. Last night, I searched until I found your dollar. And as you slept, I slipped it under your pillow. And Susan finished her story. She said, after that, I was able to put my life back into order. And that's when I came to work in your office. And great ending, not long after that story was shared with her Lubavitcher boss. She left the office and married a cardiologist. And this Lubavitcher businessman said, I met her a few months ago. And thank God she's happily married. So we have a Moshe Rabbeinu in every generation. We have someone who cares. And the Medrash asks the question, what has Moshe Rabbeinu been doing? What has Moses, our teacher, been doing since he passed away? And I often share this because it's so reassuring and inspiring. And it says... Just as down here, he was devoted and he served the people. So does he continue in the spiritual realms to be there for the people. We have a teaching that things spiritual remain. They are not influenced by time and space. We understand that Hashem loves us and he wants to give us things. We need to understand that the faithful shepherds of Israel love us and are devoted to us and will do everything in their power to intercede before the Almighty for goodness for us. 
It's just for us on our part to make a vessel for blessing. At this point, I want to say hello. I want to say hello to my friends in our parents' home. Haven't seen you in a while. I hope you're keeping well. And my friends in Sandringham Gardens. Just to say that you are an inspiration to all of us. You carry with you the worlds that you have seen. A world of yesteryear, not so long ago, that was a purer, more moral, more refined world. You saw not only your world, but the world of your parents and your grandparents was also transmitted to you through your elders. And so many of you have a story or an experience of great inspiration to share. The world needs inspiration. We need to hear these stories. The story of Susan, which happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago. We've just passed the 24th yard site of the Rebbe. We are indeed in interesting, special times where it's up to us to stretch, to bring our inner divine consciousness to the fore, the subconscious to the fore. And indeed, the very last Hasidic discourse that the Rebbe prepared, edited and prepared for publication, and then pressed into the hands of thousands, is a discourse that explains about the essence of the soul. It explains how, in times of persecution, that essence comes to the fore. When we feel that our essence is threatened, when we feel that we're being asked to stop being Jewish in Russia, in Cordova, in Germany, we say, I am a Jew. Daniel Pearl, my father was a Jew, my mother was a Jew, I am a Jew. When everything else is no longer important, my essence shines out. You can threaten me with whatever you want, but I am a Jew. However, in times of persecution, when we respond in such a glorious way, it is not something we have done, but the essence of the soul that suddenly feels threatened and emerges and imposes itself on the person, person's consciousness. But normally, it's in the subconscious. But in that Hasidic discourse, not only does the Rebbe speak about a Jew rising to the occasion in times of persecution, no matter what the price, because it's like a chayk, it's not negotiable, it's not rational, it's from a deep, deep place, he also speaks about rising to the occasion in times of prosperity and in times of comfort. We'll be right back after this short break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. I'm Mashi Lipsker, and we're talking about the Parsha, which is Chukas, and the concept of being connected in an immutable way. And we're told that even after the passing of our greats, they are still so connected to us 
as a letter that has been etched, carved, that has been engraved in stone becomes actually part of that stone. And that is one reason that the very Parsha that speaks about the ritual involving the decree of God as to how one purifies a person who's come in contact with a human corpse. In that very Parsha, we have the passing of two great tzaddikim, Miriam the prophetess and Aharon the high priest. Even after their passing, they are immutably connected. They are engraved. They are at one with us, praying for us, pleading for us, interceding in our behalf. And we live in times of great potential, times when so many wonderful lessons of inspiration have been offered to us. The Lubavitcher Rebbe of Blessed Memory, whose Yorzeit was last Shabbos, whose 24th anniversary of passing on the 3rd of Tammuz, we just commemorated last Shabbos. His influence continues to pervade the hearts and lives of so many. This is also a time where his Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, who was also his father-in-law, encountered many, many miracles. In fact, during this time, he was incarcerated and later put under house arrest in the Urals, which was meant to last for three years, but it didn't even last two weeks. And this coming week, on Monday, we commemorate his birthday, and we also commemorate the day of his liberation from communist prison, and ultimately he left Russia, and his influence spread throughout the world and carried on in his uh, partnership with his son-in-law in the 40s, his son-in-law, our Rebbe, and throughout his life, our Rebbe never called himself Rebbe. Whenever he said Rebbe, he was referring to his father-in-law. And we need to see how is it that whether in Russia or later in Riga, in Poland, in the United States, Chabad has remained unchanged. It's not like the shtetl walls protected, and then we become Americans, the melting pot, South Africans, the melting pot, Europeans, etc. Of course, we are loyal to our host country. Of course, we are grateful. We contribute. But we are Jews first and foremost. So there's a beautiful part in this week's Parsha. It doesn't sound so beautiful initially, but the Hasidic teaching illuminates it totally. We come to a portion after the death of Miriam, where Moshe sends to ask the king of Edom for permission for the Jewish people to just walk through his land. They're on their way to the land of Israel. They're about to enter the land. And so a message goes out to say, please, 
We're not going to harm you. We're not going to disturb you. We're not going to break anything. We'll stay on the main road. We'll even benefit you economically. We'll just walk through and we'll leave our money. We will spend. And the way that they said this is, Derech HaMelech Neleich. We'll, lo- we'll walk along the king's road. We'll stay to the highway. We won't turn right. We won't turn left. Till we have passed through your territory. That's Moshe's message to the king of Edom. But the king of Edom refuses. And so... Moshe Rabbeinu has to lead the people southward, detouring this entire territory belonging to Edom. How does this apply to us? If we say that Torah applies to each and every one of us forever, it's above time, it's above space, it's not just about when the Jews were in the wilderness and speaking to Edom. Well, it's a message. It's a message to our godly soul. The godly soul living in this physical world is bidden to live in the world. God created nature. He expects us. He expects us to go to work, to earn a living, to marry, to all those out there who are afraid of committing. He expects us to marry. The sooner the better. He expects us to raise a family, amazing stuff. And here we are, bidden by God to be in the physical world, but in exile, there is spiritual sensitivity is diminished. But there's a message that Moshe sends to the king of Edom. It's the message that our divine soul has to send out to the world, the materialistic world. As long as we are in exile, as long as we are in a time when spirituality and holiness is hidden, we don't see the word of God saying, let there be a heavens or let that tree come into existence. We don't see the hand of God directing people and events. We don't see Godliness in an obvious way. Yes, we are the same physically as all people. And we must meet our physical needs. First and foremost, we start at the bottom. We have to make sure that we are living in the physical world. We have to work. We have to live in the physical world. Still, at the same time, We mustn't allow this to hide, to mask, to conceal our true purpose in life. Chukah. We are here to fulfill our divine mission that is engraved into our essence. And that mission is to elevate and refine physicality. Whatever we encounter, all our relationships, every morsel of food, the way we do business, the way we educate our children, the way we spend our time, 
every encounter with the physical world, with time, with space, with people, has to be refined, elevated. And the message is, Derech HaMelech Nelech. We will walk along our divine king's road. We will not deviate from God's ways, not to the right, not to the left. No matter where we find ourselves, deep in the land of Edom, wherever we find ourselves, we will remain true to our inner selves, to our divine mission. And through doing that, we have the promise. We will merit to witness the ultimate redemption, because that's what we're working for. The redemption of the entire world. We will merit to see the world transformed into Hashem's true home. It's an unbelievable thing. We have been entrusted to partner with God to refine, to elevate at every turn with what we eat, with how we interact, all the things we think we're doing for us can be refocused so that we see that we're not doing it for selfish reasons. We're doing it because God said so. This is choik, chukah. This is being engraved, being together with Hashem on an essential level. And when we work on ourselves to fulfill our divine mission, and we inspire ourselves with optimism, with perseverance, we focus on the ultimate goal. We know that Hashem will make us succeed. He's our infinite loving Father. It's not just success, but it's also a deeper thing. He will bring us opportunities. And when we seize those opportunities, he will bring us more opportunities. It will be this incredible relationship, this partnership, that in truth was started at Sinai, at Har Sinai, at Mount Sinai, when Hashem was like the bridegroom and the nation was the bride. And we promised Naseven Ishma to follow him, to listen to him, to obey him. And he, in turn, committed to looking after us. He committed to making our dreams come true. He committed to taking care of us physically, to making sure that we want for nothing. Because when our goal is living in this world for Hashem's reasons, and wanting materialism so that we can give more tzedakah and support those who need to be supported. When we have enough material wherewithal that we can make a beautiful Shabbos and invite others and celebrate simchas properly and generously and invite others to benefit when we use the materialism that it gives us peace of mind that we can study Hashem's Torah and educate our children with the finest holy Jewish education. When everything we earn 
is in order to sanctify God's name. Hashem will give us more and more opportunities to make our dreams come true. It's a true partnership. And then he will lead us to the threshold of entering the promised land. He'll bring us to that yearned for day when there will be redemption for the entire world. There will no longer be war, strife, jealousy, suffering, or death. And all these things will be a distant memory. And the promises that Hashem made initially to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to all those faithful shepherds will be fully realized. I wish you a good Shabbos, and may we merit the ultimate redemption immediately now.